Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Last week, President Trump pardoned former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, prompting Democrats to call the move an abuse of power. Meanwhile, Trump suffered more election litigation setbacks as courts continued to reject his campaign's efforts to block vote certification in battleground states. And the Supreme Court struck down New York's COVID-19 restrictions on houses of worship, citing religious freedom violations. Anne and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. And one programming note, I'll be joined by my friend Bill Browder on December 10th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for a special Zoom conversation. To sign up for that free event, go to cafe.com slash preet. That's cafe.com slash preet. All right, so election litigation. We're still talking about election litigation because you know what? Donald Trump has still not conceded the election. Meanwhile, all these states, should we count them up? Arizona, Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, they've all certified. And once they've certified, it's game over, right? I mean, for purposes of it becoming formal on December 8th, when that time period is over and all those elect, all the election results have to have been certified and it, the process starts to move forward. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's done, but the president is still, you know, he's still litigating. He's still fighting the case we talked about last week in Pennsylvania that they've now appealed. They've asked the Supreme court to take the case and, and our listeners will remember the Supreme court doesn't have to take that case. It's not, it, there's not a right for that type of case to be taken by the Supreme court. They get to decide. I, I don't think they'll take it. It's a very strange case. And they're only asking for the federal district court to allow them to amend their complaint again, to try to find a cause on which a cause of action to allege that there's a problem with the ballots. So I don't know how you feel, but I, I think it's largely, it's done, but this is symbolic. And again, it allows the president to sort of keep this, keep the narrative going that the election has, has been stolen from him. There's like two, two examples of why this litigation is crazy. I think it, it bears speaking about it for a moment. So they brought the case in district court. They complained that it was an Obama-appointed judge, even though, as we talked about last week in Pennsylvania, even though as we talked about that was an arrangement with a Republican senator, and it was actually a Republican who was part of the Federalist Society who ruled against the president because that's what the law required. And then it goes to the Third Circuit, a panel of three judges, which is the one step before the Supreme Court. And, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate thing, and I've seen people say this, and I agree with them, that we keep talking about whether or not judges are Obama-appointed or Trump-appointed or Bush-appointed, Republican or Democratic judges, when judges are not supposed to be political, but to me, it seems like one has to do that to show the lie of the argument that the Trump folks make again and again and again when they claim the only reason they lost a particular case is because the judge was in the tank for Obama because the judge was appointed by Obama or Clinton or some other Democrat. And so to prove that that's silly and nonsensical, people like you and me have to talk about the, the you know the, what the origins of that judgeship are and here... The opinion was written by Steve Bebas, Stephanus Bebas, who for a brief period of time was actually an AUSA in the Southern District of New York. 
who pretty strongly slams the president's election lawyer's case. And the other two judges on the panel, he was appointed by by President Trump with some fanfare back in 2017. And he writes for a majority, by the way, all three judges appointed by Republicans, he was appointed by Trump, the other two by George W. Bush. And he says, voters, not lawyers, choose the president. Ballots, not briefs, decide elections. And he writes very flatly, the campaign's claims have no merit. Tossing out millions of mail-in ballots would be drastic and unprecedented, disenfranchising a huge swath of the electorate and upsetting all down-ballot races too. And he goes on and on with very strong language to say there's nothing here. And they can't point to the fact that this was an Obama-appointed judge. And again, I don't want to make too much of that. It's mostly to rebut the claim that the only times they lose is because someone has bias on the bench. And that's just not true here. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of the opinion that was written is, free, fair elections are the lifeblood of our democracy. Charges of unfairness are serious, but calling an election unfair does not make it so. Charges require specific allegations and then proof. We have neither here. I mean, that just sort of sums up, in my view, all the election litigation that we've seen We've seen from the Trump campaign. And by the way, just as an aside, when I worked for then-Senator Corzine on the Hill, Judge Sigaris was nominated by George W. Bush, and, and I worked with him as part of the process. You know, the home state senators and Senator Corzine and then-Senator Lautenberg had a bipartisan committee that they used to recommend judges, and this was one one of the George W. Bush nominations. And so I agree with you. I, I also really think it's it does a disservice to the judges to paint them as Democrat or Republican. The problem is that once the allegations are made that these are Obama judges, the allegation is that these judges are acting politically, that they're not making a decision on the facts and the law, which couldn't be further from the truth. And so I think it's not just a disservice to these judges, it's a disservice to like our fair and independent judiciary of which President Trump has put a lot of people on the bench. And, you know, again, we should assume that that people and judges come with a non-political lens. And I know, look, that's not always the case and I'm, I'm not naive about it, but but I really think that as a rule, the judiciary tries to stand outside of and, and beyond politics. And this just... Um, um, it's not good for our sort of institutions of government, as as we've seen repeatedly in the last four years. Hey, can I ask you um, spelling? I know we don't do spelling bees on this show Ooh, too yeah. often or, Ooh, <laughs> or ever. Let's not. Right, are you ready? <laughs> ready. I'm surprising you. I haven't given you any warning about this. Oh, boy. But you'll see where I'm going in a moment. I want to prove a point because my good friend Anne is a tremendously talented lawyer. Anne Milgram, how do you spell the word district? D-I-S-T-R-I-C-T. District. <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> Isn't that what they say in spelling bees? Yeah, you're like, can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> Could I have the origin, please? Do you want me to do a word pyramid like our six-year-old does? <laughs> and you know why I'm asking, right? Because yes. notorious lawyer, Sidney Powell, who I don't know, you know, again, I don't enjoy disparaging particular lawyers other than Rudy Giuliani of late. But Sidney Powell spews a lot of crazy nonsense, and she's representing the President of the United States in all these actions around the country and in Georgia, by the way, and claims, by the way, boasts that she's going to bring cases and, and lawsuits that are biblical in effect. And instead, she made a filing in, in Georgia in which the word district was misspelled twice on the first page of the document. D-I-S-T-R-I-C-C-T. So district. Is that how you would pronounce that? 
Yeah, I was surprised by that. I mean, that that's just and then a, dis- district coiked. Yeah, she made, a, she made a number CEO. of mistakes. And I guess some people might be rolling their eyes and be like, "Okay, Prudent are being like kind of obnoxious." No, I more just think it goes like towards that. preparation. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't like think that. it's it's innate skill in any way. I mean, obviously, you know, she's practiced law for a long time. I here's how I would say it: if if you were the U.S. attorney and someone filed this under your name, you would be upset because they didn't use spell check and they didn't check it carefully. And so, you know, this is sort of below in the, the caption. Yes, <laughs> in the yes. caption, in the title. It's one thing yeah. if it's on page thirty-four in a footnote. Or if it's someone's name, but this is, I mean, this is, you know, it's federal district court. And so it's not, it's the kind of thing lawyers write all the time. Right. But it's just further proof that this is all fantasy land and it's become kind of a joke, not just among lawyers, but among lay people also. And as I said last week, I think, I think all these lawsuits actually have backfired on the president because now you see case after case, it's not just rhetoric that it's hard to, you know, pinpoint whether it's correct or not correct, because if it's just rhetoric you know, uttered at a podium, you can still stand by it. But now they're getting beaten in court. Their lawyers are being shown to be inept. They're getting shut down by people who are appointed by the president himself in a universe in which he and his allies think that personal loyalty is owed to him, right? I mean, I think it's also, this president I don't think understands. Someone wrote recently that the president has such a limited understanding of civics and the judicial system that he probably just thought because he's the president, he can just say, hey, I'm going to take something to the Supreme Court. And because it's stacked with three of his own nominees, he's just going to win. Do you think he's that naive? I mean, he also said recently on this interview, this crazy interview with the, the erstwhile journalist Maria Bartiromo. I say, I don't have standing. You mean as president of the United States, I don't have standing. What kind of a court system is this? Just because he's the president, he can sue in any court for whatever reason no matter what the legal principles are. Do you think he just doesn't get it or it's all just rhetoric for him, for his base? Yeah, or some or some combination of the two. I mean, I, I think he may sincerely believe that the president should have standing whenever he wants to bring a case to the Supreme Court. And again, I think, you know, we've talked about this before, but the president is largely transactional. He's all about sort of, you know, what do I have to give to get something or, or sort of, and, and I think that that's how he sincerely views the world. And so he... I think has a very hard time understanding systems that are not purely transactional systems that are based on other things. And so I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you what, what concerned me more because the president can say, well, I should have standing, but he doesn't. And and the constitution doesn't make it so, and the laws don't make it so. The thing that concerned me more over the past week was the sort of reframing of, and, and you and I've talked about how the president is, is always working to frame issues, this sort of reframing of the election as, my votes were stolen and Joe Biden has to prove that he legitimately got 80 million votes. And that really Flip does trouble me. Exactly. Burden. He's flipping the burden. That's exactly what we would say as lawyers. Um, we should explain what that is. Right? You know, so let's take criminal cases first where it's a sacrosanct principle that the burden of proof lies with the government, that people don't have to prove their innocence. That's why you have something called the presumption of innocence. That's why the defense doesn't have to make any case at all. The defense doesn't have to make an opening statement, doesn't have to make a closing argument, doesn't have to put on any witnesses. All the defense has to say, because the burden rests with the government, that the government has not met its burden of proof, right? That's a very, very powerful allocation of burden, right? It lies with the government. And the same is true with less you know, um, consequence, because it's not about liberty and life. 
but in civil cases too. The person who is making the charge, the person who is alleging negligence, the person who is alleging some tort, defamation, or whatever the case may be, that person has the burden of proof. And here it's the president making the allegation of some wrongdoing. He has the burden, not the other guy. And you can almost imagine the president's supporters parroting that language, right? So somebody could say to them, look, the election, the electors have certified the election after, you know, that's done and Biden has won the election. And you could almost see somebody saying, well, prove it. And it's like, of course, the proof is there. That's why the electors certify the election. But it's it's really just a reframing. Um, it's just another way to try to undercut uh, the election and to do it by sort of shifting um by shifting the narrative. And look, I should note, t- the president tweeted that out, Twitter flagged that tweet as, you know, not reliable information because it's obviously not accurate. But again, I just, I sort of, I worry about the sort of subcurrent of um, a belief of, you know, 70 million plus Americans who think, or many of whom might think that the election, that there was election fraud or that the election was stolen when the president has failed to have any shred of proof of that. So obviously there has been some good news in the fight against COVID, there are multiple vaccines. There's some discussions about how effective they are, which ones are going to be able to be distributed more quickly than others, what the temperature has to be for transporting them and distributing them. But by every account, it's, it's tremendously good news. And there are some reports. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, Head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.